we're just going to keep on studying the book of Malachi this morning. Malachi, we're going to read chapter 2. Uh, verse 17, and we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 17. And uh, I've heard many good feedback about the book of Malachi. Many of you have felt like you've grown and you've known the, the, the word better and uh, you know the book Malachi better because in the past, you know, you thought it's just a book about giving and offering, but really it's just, uh, it's just about our attitude and, and what Malachi is trying to address in terms of seemingly the heaven is, is quite unresponsive to them. And so there's a lot of people feel that way these days. And so the Malachi book is really trying to teach us what, what, what kind of attitude we have to have before the Lord. Anyways, chapter 2, verse 17, Malachi said to the people of Israel, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in evil. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, let me pause here, and I want to make a very uh, um, direct clarification. I just want to make sure that you understand what this church is all about. For those of you watching, you know, I just need you to understand what we're believing, what we're all about. You see, the Word of God um, uh, uh, teaches us about the amazing concept of grace, and yet... For those of us who understand grace, meaning the grace of God, meaning the gospel, the simple gospel is the gospel of grace. You know, for those who understand the grace of God, we have been accused by people, Christians, you know, who do not understand that message, uh, we've been accused by them about this. They're saying that you people who believe in the grace message, you are, you are actually believing that what is evil is good and what is good is evil. They're saying that all this grace message you're talking about is basically saying it's okay. It's okay to be in sin. It's okay to, you know, to sin, to continue to indulge in sin and so forth. Everything is okay. Well, that cannot be further from the truth. If sin is okay, why did Jesus need to come to the earth? He came not so that we can stay in sin. You know why? Because the consequence of sin is really a lot of stress struggle, a lot of pain. The consequence of sin is, is, is painful. And Jesus loves us so much. God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to live in the painful existence. And that in the middle of the storm, in the middle of attack and confusion, we can still experience his amazing peace, his amazing love. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God's grace is there to forgive you, to, to welcome you, to embrace you. But that is not to say that God is okay with sin because like I said, if he was okay with sin, he wouldn't have come to earth. He would have left us to our own demise. He came to forgive us. He came to set us free, not to leave us in struggles, not to leave us in sin, but give us the freedom from it. So no, we don't believe everything goes in this house. Hello? So I want to make it very clear. So if anybody asks you, you know, you guys, you know, you sound like the grace of, you know, the grace message sounds so permissive. You can, you can do whatever you want. No, it's not that. If that's the case, Jesus didn't need to come. He come 
to set you and I free from all the struggle of sin, all the consequence. And, and, and on top of that, he comes to set you and I free from the burden of sin. You know what that is? Guilt and condemnation. You know, there are three ways to deal with so-called sin. I know it's, it's not a very top popular topic. One way is not to believe in anything about the Bible, not to believe in anything the Word of God says, and in fact believe there's no God. In that way, you can just seal, seal your conscience and forget it. I don't believe in the conscience business. I don't believe anything the Bible says is true and so or, 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 or and anything about right and wrong. And so I can do whatever we want. That's one way to deal with the consequence of sin. That is the burden, the guilt, and condemnation and shame. That's one way. And another way is a religious way. It's basically just using fear, using fear and judgment and condemnation to make people feel horrible, Make you feel bad, you know, that they, they just, they're just not worth a penny, you know, and just people walk into the church and, and they feel very judged and very, very, uh, you know, uh, not good. Never, they never feel good enough. Well, that's not the right way either. Well, the perfect way to deal with sin is to understand that Jesus has come to accept all of us. To receive all of us. Why? So we can stay in sin? No. To rescue us from darkness into his marvelous light. To rescue us from the struggle of sin to the marvelous light. And that it costs us nothing. And that doesn't matter what we've done in the past. Jesus loves us so much that he would embrace us. Again, I want to make it very clear. It's not equal. That does not equal to yeah, you can just stay in sin, you can stay struggling in sin, everything is okay, what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right, whatever you like. And otherwise, you know, if that is the case, I think Jesus had wasted his life on the cross. Yes? Are you here this morning? But, you know, such is the condition of our society today. The condition of society is that the, the, the society we're living in is that the value moral compass of a society is being challenged. Now, let's not talk about the people who are not Christians. Let's talk about in the church itself. Is that many of the things that, you know, the Bible says is not good. Now we say, oh, it's, it's a virtue. It's good. It's fine. You know, pastors and, and many preachers from all, all over the world, you know, many of them had, had literally even denounced their faith. But they say, oh, you know, you know, everything is okay. Everything is fine, you know. And uh, even within our faith, you know. So I'm not talking about judging and condemning people. We should never do that. We are not qualified to do that. We are free from that. People should never be judged or condemned by our words, by our looks, by our attitude, by our policy. They should feel like God loves them, and he does. But that is not to say that what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. We do not celebrate evil. We do not permit or tolerate evil. There are people that have tolerated evil. But, you know, the message of the grace is not that we, we can tolerate evil. We say everything is okay. Now, let me back up a little bit about message of grace again. Um, you know, uh, I shared with uh, the people in the morning, the first service, that many people are uh, very concerned that other people will know that they are 
Christian believers. They are very concerned because they don't want to associate themselves with some of those crazies out there. I understand that. I don't want either. They don't want to associate with themselves with those people that are unreasonable, illogical, you know, they're just, just plain old silly. I get that. I understand that. But you know, Paul the Apostle says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. Unfortunately, many people feel that, you know, it is okay to be ashamed of your faith. You know, we've heard people say that, you know, I, I don't people know that I'm part of, you know, the kingdom of God, number one. Oh, I want to be part of this church. I, I don't want people to know that. I don't, I don't want people to know about me having anything to do with any church, including this church. I wonder... What are the believers around the world who had given their life to this gospel? I wonder how they feel about it. Do you know that throughout the history of the church, we have seen millions, tens, even hundreds of millions of people had perished because they believe in what we believe. And yet, so many of us, unfortunately, are so ashamed to be even associated with Christianity or with a church or a local church. You know, Jesus did say this, and and I'm not saying this to cause you to be fearful, but just ask you to rethink or reorganize your thinking, your mind. Jesus said that if you are ashamed of me before man, I, I will not acknowledge you before the Father or the angels in heaven. So I want to ask you to be cautioned that you are not ashamed of your faith. The grace message is not about being lukewarm. The grace message is not about being permissive. The grace message is doesn't matter where you have come from, God still loves you, and if you want to set your life on a new trajectory, there is that new trajectory available for free because Jesus had paid for all your mistakes and he had forgiven all your sin, and you can start all over again like a brand new child, being born again, being having a new life. That's the grace message. A new life, like a new child. You know, I'm just digressing again. I, I was, um, I was in, uh, in this home of, a, 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 of, of an, a gentleman that, you know, they just got born again, and I just baptized them, you know. And, you know, he, he kind of believed in this palm reading. I, I don't really believe that, but he was trying, you know, you know the mind still needs to be renewed, shouldn't I, right? And so, so he was showing me, you know, he's an older gentleman. He's showing me, you know, my life, you know, uh, uh, I'll get to 70, and then all of a sudden it looks like I have a new life after that. 
And then, you know, I, I kind of smile, you know, but, but his son said, That's me. that means you're being born again, you know. And uh, praise God, you know, you know, he, you know, his son just used what Paul the Apostle used to do. You know, he, he goes to this town and they're worshiping all kinds of gods. And then there was a statue called the God of the Unknown. And so Paul used that as an opportunity to say, this is Jesus. This God of the Unknown is Jesus. So, so he's using the same wisdom. But the point is that, you know, when you are born again, your life is like brand new. That's the opportunity that God has given us. That's what we call grace. He said, doesn't matter what you have done in the past, there is this amazing grace that is available to you. But that is not to say that you and I are supposed to stay in sin. Why would you want to do that? It's so, the consequence is so painful. You want to be free from it, and you have an opportunity to be free from it, not through laws, not through rules, but through the power of God. Amen? That's the message we're believing. Anyways, continue on. So, um, but, the, but the condition of time is this, is that what is wrong is right, what is right is wrong. And so, when, you know, what we used to consider evil now is being celebrated as virtue. Now, let me make another qualification here. There have, been, there have been many religious rules and religious views that were not biblical, but just religious or traditional, right? Because a lot of times we think that if it's traditional, it has to be right, especially in the, in the church world. If what we've been doing, we've been doing this for many hundred years, it has to be right. Well, that cannot be further from the truth. You know, I remember uh, reading Jeremiah. You know, I'm doing a study on Jeremiah and uh, the book Jeremiah. So at the end of the book of Jeremiah, um, you know, they, the, the last chapter basically said that they were exiled because, you know, they, they, the people in, in, in Israel, they just, they, just, they just have a lot of ideas about God that is not right. And, and, and the Bible says they provoke God to say, anyway, so they were exiled. But just prior to that, many of them were, uh, many of them basically moved to Egypt. <clears throat> to avoid the Babylonians' empire. They moved to Egypt. They befriended the Egyptian king and said, that, therefore, the Egyptian uh, uh, community or, or, or country, and said so they moved to Egypt. And then one of the common practices they had was they worshiped this mother queen of heaven, the Jews, right? They, they've been exiled now, and now they're in another land, and they love to worship this queen mother Jew, uh, queen mother queen. Queen Mother God, goddess in heaven, you know. So Jeremiah said to them, you know, this is wrong. This is the reason why you guys are in exile, because you have forsaken your God, forsaken your faith. And so they all came to him, you know, very angry. He said, shut up, Jeremiah, you shut up, you know. And uh, they say, you know, Jeremiah, you know, we have been worshiping all our lives. Our ancestor, our father, our grandfather, our great-grandfather, father had been worshiping it and therefore it is okay what they were saying is true is because for many generations before they've been kicked out of israel they started worshiping this mother queen and all the other gods out there and that's why it made god got really mad but they kept worshiping kept pressing and so now jeremiah is saying this is wrong they say but that's our tradition because it's our tradition it's got to be right well no it's not Tradition doesn't make things right. So therefore, yes, we challenge those traditions. I challenge them all the time. You know, one of the best ways you can grow, my friends, is to question things. 
don't just take people's word for it. You know, if you know my Bible, I hope you'll never see it because you'll wreck your faith. I ask a lot of questions. And I don't think God is mad at us for asking questions. There are many times I read the Bible because we, we, will have, we come to that, you know, one of the examples just in a few minutes. We read the Bible, we have a certain filter, and therefore we assume certain things that's being said. And many of us have been brought up in the religious mindset that is based on tradition of man. So we look at things from a traditional point of view and then the image that is being conjured up in our mind while we're reading it is completely incorrect. And I'm going to show you one example in a few minutes. So tradition doesn't mean it's correct. Yes, you and I need to challenge it. need to question it. You know, I question it all the time. You know, in the small group that, that we, we host a small group, we like, we want to encourage you all, all of you just trying to get plugged in. In small group, I, I, I share with the, the small group that we had about the concept of, you know, how in a two-dimensional world, you cannot understand really in a three, the third dimension. And, you know, in the third-dimensional world, we have no reference point, vocabulary for us to ever understand the fourth-dimension concept. And the God that we serve is in the fourth, we call it spiritual dimension. In fact, there is multiple more dimensions than the fourth dimension, but we will never be able to understand it because we don't have any reference point to it. And yet, you know, that's the problem with the religious thing is that they set a certain reference point in our head. And so, you know, like you, you assume it. And so when it's being read, the word's being read. We are now buying into a certain narrative that we never question. That's why you have to question. I question it all the time. One of the questions I asked the Lord just for fun. You know, the Bible says that, you know, there was a young man actually asked me that question. I was driving him home from youth group, you know. He's a buddy of my son. And so we are driving him from youth group, you know. And one of the questions that, he, you know, he said, Pastor Paul, I've been reading Exodus. I said, oh, okay, that's a lot of questions there. And he said, you know, the Bible says God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So he said, well, that is not fair, is it? And, you know, if you go to, you know, when I was going through, you know, some youth group when I was young, you know, those youth leaders, they don't really have the answer. They give you lines that really doesn't make any sense. When you grow up, you thought it's really stupid. And I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want him to grow up to think that I was stupid. And because of that, just completely discredit everything I said and therefore would leave their faith. There's a lot of people have left their faith because they were giving stupid answers when they were young. So I want to protect his faith. I don't want to give him stupid answer. So one of the first things I said is like, I know, right? <laughs> he was tired. He's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> How come you're not defending it? It's funny because I asked the same questions when I read Exodus years ago. I had this question in my Bible. How is that fair? In fact, Paul the Apostle even kind of go, go, go along that same line. You know, and uh, when he's talking about the vessel of glory, vessel of dishonor, you know, God created vessel of dishonor so that he can manifest the vessel of glory, of, of his glory. And then Paul then kind of rhetorically asked the question, how is it then it's fair for the vessel of dishonor? And that, you know, he, the vessel of dishonor will ask God, you know, you made me that way. How can you judge me? And Paul never really seemingly answered the questions. Because his answer is that you are, you are, you are, you are, you are clay. How can you ask Potter how to make you? 
And then in that note, I wrote down, you know, Jesus, he's not answering the question. But actually, he was. You want to know the answer? Come talk to me after service. We got to move on with this. <laughs> but the point is this, is that we have to ask questions. That's how you grow. We never challenge the sovereignty of God. We never challenge the integrity of the Word of God. But I will challenge the traditions and the traditional interpretation of the Word of God. And I'm going to show you one of them today, right? Now, there are a lot of other things in the church that were deemed okay, and uh, it's not okay. It's not okay. For example, you know, uh, in the old days, you know, they, 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 the church in the South, they actually endorsed slavery. And preachers would use different parts of the Bible, I shared with you a few times already, to say that it's okay. That is demonic. That is satanic. How could it be okay? Racism itself is satanic. It's demonic. How is it, how is it, how is it possible that it's okay that the church will endorse it? And so, you know, if you bought the tradition of the church, you would never challenge it. But we do challenge it. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the word of God, the righteousness of God, how it is that we've twisted it in these days. Then even many so-called preachers have twisted the truth so to accommodate people. That's not the message of grace. That's, the, that's false doctrine. But we love everybody anyways, right? Yes? You're so quiet. There are ideas, concepts, rules that were established not by the word of God, but tradition of man. And that you challenge. But this is not what it's talking about. This is talking about people say, oh, sin is great. This is fantastic. Stay in it. Struggle in it. Continue to indulge in it. If that had been the case, like I say, then Jesus had wasted his life on the cross. He didn't come so that you can, you and I can stay in sin. He comes so that he can rescue us from that judgment of sin, from mediocrity, from lukewarmness, from, you know, the message of grace is so misunderstood by so many people. So next time when people say, oh, you believe in the message of grace, you say, I believe in the gospel because that's the message of grace. And no, you don't believe in compromise. You don't believe in, in, you know, whatever. But you love everyone. You don't judge people. You love people. You welcome them. You embrace them. And then you're believing that the power of God is going to change them. Not your words, not your judgment, not your rules. But it's the power of God that's going to change them. So our job is just to love them. Billy Graham used to say, my job is to build a bridge between my heart and the heart of the unbelievers. So that what? that Jesus can walk through that bridge to reach that unbeliever. It's not to, it's not to be judgmental and tell them. And you can never argue a person into the kingdom of God, but you can love them into the kingdom of God. Are you here this morning? All right, chapter 3. Very interesting. Verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. Now, this word messenger, my messenger in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is uh, Malach, Malach, I think it's how you spell it, Malach, in Hebrews, right? It sounds like they're coughing or something every time they talk, Malach, right? I send my messengers, and that word is Malach, which we call it Malachi in English, you know, we anglicize it, Malachi, you know, uh, Malach. So, so that's this book, the name of the book come from, right? I send the messenger, Malach, and he will prepare the way for me. Now, who is he talking about here? 
He's talking about John the Baptist, yes? And the Lord whom you seek, now he's talking about Jesus, will suddenly come to his temple. And he did. God, Jesus showed up in the temple when he was 12, debating with all those priests and all those leaders. They were alarmed how this child can be so smart and brilliant. You know, nobody announced that he was going to come and boom, he showed up. Nobody recognized him. And then later on in his life, he came to the temple and whipped everybody, you know, caught the, caught the priests by surprise. They're like, who is this guy? Who gave you this authority? They didn't know who he was. He showed up in the temple suddenly. That's what it's been. That's the prof- prophecy of Jesus. And the message of coven- covenant against Melach, in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now here, we're going to read this scripture from two lens. The le- religious lens from verse 2. We can read it from a religious lens or the lens of the law and rules, or we can read from the lens of grace and mercy, and you will see a complete different message, okay? Now, check this out. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of the Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Okay, verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Now he's talking about offering again, how God's going to be pleased with the offering, receive the offerings, and bless them, right? Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, and the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now watch this. When you read verse 2, back to verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, like a fuller soap. That image, if you had a traditional religious image, you would think that, you know, this is what it means. God is going to come with his wrath. Who can stand the wrath of God? Now, it's true in the revelation that, you know, when the grace dispensations come to an end, when Jesus does appear, that's the kingdom, that's a new kingdom season. You know, he will judge the dead and the, the living. You know, that, that will be the time. But this is the grace dispensation. But, you know, if you look at it from the traditional rules and law uh, lens, you, you feel like God is coming. He's talking about he's coming in the wrath, full of fire, and he's going to refine him because when you hear refine, you remember the song, right? Refiner's fire. You know, it's just, it means that there's some kind of painful process that God is going to turn the fire up and burn you. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Well, that's the traditional thinking. I'm going to change your thinking a little bit to look at it from a different perspective. Let me see what else I can say about this. So it sounds like a heavy and painful experience to be purified by God. Now, I want you to put the lens of grace on, and let's read it again. I'm going to show you, okay? And then we're going to finish and have communion. And then you can go home and have turkey. All right. Verse 2. But who can endure? Who can 
who can endure, who can tolerate, who can, who, can, who can handle it, the day of his coming, and who can stand, the word stand in Hebrew here is comprehend when he appears, who can understand what's going on when he shows up, for he's like a refiner's fire, like fuller soul. Okay? Now, when it comes to endurance, that's an image of who can stand the fire of burning of God, the judgment of the burning of God. But here he's actually talking about Isaiah chapter 52, verse 2 to 3. It's describing Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground and had no form of majesty that we should look at him. One second here. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. And as one form whom men hide their face because he's so ugly. And he was despised and we esteem him not. Actually, what Malachi is saying from the lens of, lens of the grace of God is that this messenger, this Lord of hosts, this one that you delight in, he's going to show up, you know, go, oh. The Bible says that Jesus become ugly so that you can become whole. He was despised so that he can lift you up. And so nobody could recognize when he was so beat up and so tortured, that image was so bad, nobody could actually tolerate it. I don't know if you watched the movie called Passion. How many watched the movie called Passion? I couldn't watch half of them because it's so gory. Especially when they have Jesus flock, right? They have Jesus flock. And, and you know, I was reading, had some studies, and they didn't do it as bad in the movie, is that they were flogging Jesus on his back so much that his backbones showed up. Hardly any flesh stay on his body. That was disgusting. Who can endure that? I couldn't even watch that movie. I said, oh. But that's what Jesus did to pay for your sin. So why is it okay to be in sin? If sin is okay, he didn't need to go through that. He went through the process of pain to redeem you from the pain of sin. He went through the process of being tortured to be so, so unlookable, you can't even look upon him. You would shun your face from this, this hideous image. Who can endure? And who can comprehend? And else who can understand? Nobody understood Jesus when he was on earth. Everybody, including the Jews, including his disciples, didn't understand him. They thought he was going to be this king of kings, going to come and he's going to, he's going to kill all those Romans, Romans agents, Roman soldiers, and going to establish Jerusalem as the headquarter of the world. And Messianic age is going to come and, mess, and then he's going to rule the entire world with his iron fist. He's going to, he, he's going to, he's going to put everybody to shame and he's going to make the Jews so proud, you know, who they were because, you know, they were a shame race. They thought Jesus would come and do that. So even the disciple didn't understand him. What is this guy? What, what, what do you mean you're going to die on the cross? Jesus said it multiple times to them and they don't even get it. 
And of course, the people in the world, the religious world, totally didn't get him. That's why they crucified him, handed him over to the Romans. And the Romans, of course, didn't understand him. The world didn't understand. Who can comprehend him? That's talking about Jesus. In fact, I'll say this. Today, many people still do not understand him. Many religious people think they understand him. No, they don't understand him. The minute you think you understand him, if you're open-minded, he will show you something else that is so marvelous and so amazing. There is no ending in the revelation or new revelation of Christ forever. You know, it will take eternity, if there's such a concept, to understand. The Bible says it will take eternity for him to reveal his entire glory. Wow. Never mind about these days. But who can comprehend? And here it is. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He's like, but he's not. He's like. What does it mean like? It's, it's like, it means, it means it's fire. It's going to be very painful. Yeah, but fuller's soap is not painful. This is not the image that this fellow is trying to show us. What he's trying to tell us is the impact of what he's going to do is going to make you and I so pure. What's he going to do to make you so pure? What is he going to do? Is he going to clean you like a soap? Or he's going to burn you like a fire? Neither. But the impact, the results will be like you have been refined by fire. The result is that you will be clean like a soap. Some of you do use soap when you shower, right? No? I don't know what soap does. You do know what soap does, right? Now, I want you to look at it from the lens of grace. Jesus purify you and I, not by our works, not by what we can give, not by what we can do, not by our, you know, our performance. Jesus purify us, watch this now, with his precious blood. The pain is not on you. The pain is on him. When you read it from the lens of the law and rules, it will sound like God wants to inflict some terrible pain on you. But when you read from the lens of the grace of God, which is the correct lens, you will see that all the suffering, all the pain, all the purifying, all, the, all, all that is hard and painful were not meant to be on you, but on him, the son of the God of the universe, so that why? he can purify you. He can make you righteous for doing absolutely zero. That's how amazing the grace of God is. That's why we come to the communion table. I call it the Thanksgiving communion table. Why? Because we are so thankful that in spite of all our mistakes in the past, in spite of all that we have done, he said, that's okay. I'm going to take you out from that place, free of charge. Just reach out. 
You know, there's a song, the traditional song say, He brought me up from the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock, I stand. He took me up from a miry clay, the dirty mud. He pulled me up. I pay nothing for it. It's free. He did it with his blood. Are you here this morning? That's how good God is. That's the message of grace. It's not to tolerate sin. It's not to say sin is okay. Everything is fine. You know, people have accused. In fact, when we started preaching of the message of grace, there are tons of people left this church. They say, we, we don't believe in that. I was thinking to myself, what do you mean you don't, you don't believe in the gospel? Because that's the gospel. Well, what do you want to believe in? Oh, we, we don't believe, you know, you know, you know it's, it's, it's that easy. No, it wasn't easy. It was tremendously painful for our master and our savior. It cost him everything and then some. 